0: of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. Today is Friday, February 4th, 2022. And this episode, we are going to talk about a book I just read yesterday, which I found to be absolutely fascinating. I would not say that if I didn't mean it. There are plenty of books which are just meh, Yeah. Okay. Whatever. I was interested in the subject until you started talking about it and you somehow found a way to make it very dull and boring and you lost me and your content wasn't very well organized. And the point you were trying to make was either absurd or I couldn't quite follow what you were getting at and how the things you were presenting built into your whole point, your whole thesis. There's plenty of books out there that are that way. And particularly with the subject of history, I find myself fairly choosy as far as who I like to be telling me history. Anymore, there's so much of modern history that just feels like a witch hunt. It feels like somebody has gone through The ages, they've looked through hundreds of years, thousands of years of history, and they've got an ax to grind and they're trying to make a point. They're trying to prove that our biases of today with progressivism, with postmodernism, with all that are valid and they don't question their underlying assumption that they think the modern way of doing things is pretty great, pretty awesome, pretty fantastic. We're on the right side of history, which is to say that everybody else before us wasn't. Or if not that, you'll find people trying to find justification in some very forgotten detail of the ancient uh, Near East and how they did things. Oh, look, like they had a better idea about how to interpret Genesis than conservative, theologically conservative Christians do. Today, we're going to defer to the Babylonians and the Assyrians on how to interpret the biblical text, how to interpret what Genesis 1 means. I'm going to look at Vikings and how they saw the world and how they saw themselves and their attitudes towards sexuality, towards property, towards whatever, and I'm going to try and find some kind of a rationale for our LGBTQ plus our socialist tendencies. I'm going to try and find something that's radically egalitarian. Men and women, what's the difference? We can all be warriors and shield maidens, and you know, anybody who says otherwise is going to get a bearded axe, uh, you know, shook at them or whatever. That's annoying. That is an annoying way to deal with history. It's an annoying way to Look at just the the mountain we have we have mountains to climb of data at our fingertips, all of us too. if you're listening to this podcast, there are so many history books that you could be listening to right after that you may have been listening to right before there's so much in the way of information we've got it seems a a waste to go looking in that mountain, mining for justification for our very short-sighted, very hubristic opinion of ourselves and, and what we think of as progress. Just because we come after that does not necessarily mean that we are superior to, smarter than, wiser than, morally superior to, or in any other way superior to. And superior in terms of our elegance, in terms of our sophistication, we may not be evolving, folks. We may be devolving. But there's another layer to this. And it's something I've been thinking about here lately. And honestly, I hadn't heard of the fourth turning, or if I had, I never picked up on this being something that I should go and check out or read until very recently. And I would say it's only been in the past week that I really heard somebody talking about William Strauss and Neil Howe's book in anything approaching enough depth to make me want to go and hear more, make me want to go and listen to the full book. Everybody else, maybe it was just a passing reference or I was distracted. But apart from... Reading The Fourth Turning, which I did yesterday, started and finished it. It's not a very long book. It's only six hours and one minute, the abridged version on Audible. But before reading this, I was starting to think to myself, you know, what if, right? What if history is kind of like a pendulum and you have the pendulum swing back and forth and back and forth? And the more I read history, the more it seems to me like there's almost like a sine wave right? seems like there's just kind of like with a lot of things, like with sound, like with light, you have waves, like with the oceans, you have waves, like with the seasons, you have spring and then summer and then fall and then winter. Maybe it's kind of like a lot of things, It ebbs and it flows. There are good times and there are not so good times, If you're in a not-so-good time, don't assume that it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Life sucks and then you die, as the saying goes. Don't assume that it's just going to get worse and worse and worse, any more than if you're, say, my age, 35 years old, and it's winter, and it's February, and you have something of a memory of last year about this time, you wouldn't say, well, it's always going to be winter. It's just going to get colder and colder and colder until the earth is just one giant ice ball and we crack in two because we got so cold and the sun's going to go out and it's just going to be snow forever and oh this is awful right there's a difference between saying winter is coming and saying winter is all there ever will be again and we know that The, the more context we have the more perspective we have looking at, hey, you know, 35 years, maybe I don't remember all of them very well, but I do remember having lived in Montana and Ohio and now in Colorado. I do remember there being seasons, and I do remember what follows winter, and yes, it's winter right now, and yes, there's some days that are colder than others, but on the whole, I can expect that there's going to be a a kind of process. There's going to be a kind of moving on into a new period, a new season. And that new season may not be lush and green immediately, but we're going to get there. We're going to get to trees having leaves on them again. We're going to get to the lawn, or at least some people's lawns, being green and robust. And we're going to get to people having gardens. And spring will come again. What if history is like that? What if for however long it is, you do just have some periods of history wherein cultures and nations and civilization ebbs and it flows and it goes through spring and summer and fall and winter and however long those seasons last, if it's winter time right now, you can expect spring is just around the corner. It's just a matter of time. May not be tomorrow, but it it might be sooner than you think. And if it's summertime, then you can expect at a certain point, you're going to start to see those leaves change. You're going to feel the temperature of the wind drop a few degrees and you're going to start hearing the gackle of geese flying overhead to go south because they sense that it's fall now and it's going to be winter before they know it well William Strauss and Neil Howe write this really really interesting book back in 1997 at least the copyrights 97 I believe that's when it was written no I correct myself it is 1997 because I watched and listened to a couple of interviews with one of the authors I don't know where the other author has gone but Neil Howe, at least, seems like he has uh, been fairly active in the past 20 years going on podcasts and doing interviews. I watched and, more to the point, listened to a really interesting interview that he did with the Art of Manliness podcast, long interview from the end of 2019, so right before COVID, and again, these guys are writing this book in 1997. And what they do is they look at American history, and they go back farther than that in an earlier book that they wrote early on in the 90s. I believe it was 1990 or 91. Uh, It's another book that I'm planning on reading now, uh, soon, maybe not right away. I want to take some time to digest The Fourth Turning. But this book called Generations, titled Generations. But they look at history and they basically say gener- generations, generations, roughly 20 years, 20 to 30 years or so, have throughout human history, for as far back as we can see, generations have been seen as somewhat cyclical. The ancients believed that generations were cyclical, or cyclical, if you will. And Somehow or another, in our postmodernism, in our secularism, in our chronological snobbery, as C.S. Lewis would put it, we've gotten away from looking at history as being cyclical, being full of seasons, and and those seasons being generational. We've gotten away from thinking in terms of the ebb and flow of And not just a pendulum. See, I've been thinking of it in terms of a pendulum. But I think the sine wave is a better picture. But you basically have four or so points in every cycle, according to Strauss and Howe. And each of these four points in a cycle corresponds with a generation. And you can tell, as you look back through American history, that, hey, this generation, broadly speaking, more or less, was formed and shaped and was different. They were a different generation, in large part because this is what was going on. And because they were different, well, then when they come of age, not only do they remember the circumstances that they grew up in, let's say they grew up during a crisis. Children right now are growing up through a crisis. Well, that's going to leave a lasting impression on them. That's going to leave a mark on them. But if you went back a 100 years, children growing up during the Great Depression had a mark left on them. Children growing up during World War II had a mark left on them. And then the crisis passes and the children who grow up Right after the passing of that crisis, they grew up in what we see as being a high point. Hey, we dodged the bullet on that. We have this euphoric high. If we make it through the crisis, at least in American terms, we haven't collapsed yet. Knock on wood. We won't. From our lips to God's ears, we should turn and seek his face so that he would hear our call and heal our land. But the children who grow up after the crisis has passed in a high point, well, they are used to things being good. They're used to things having been in pretty good shape. And the folks, the hero generation that got society through the crisis period has proven its leaders, they're battle tested, and maybe they're a little bit prickly and they don't like being second guessed and questioned so much because after all. Who do you think is responsible for these high times and this good time that we're living through? And so the children who grow up in that kind of a circumstance, they maybe become artists to try and break out of this rigidity. And also because, hey, they've got the leisure time. The crisis has passed. Now it's time for self-expression and creativity, for instance, maybe, possibly, or maybe they're prophets. Yes, the crisis has passed, but there's going to be another. And then after the artists, you've got nomads. And the nomads, for their part, are somewhat listless, with the two previous generations being prophets, artists. The nomads are just kind of adrift, to some extent. And it's in their coming of age that a certain unraveling happens. Before the unraveling is an awakening. We're coming down off that high post-crisis and there's an awakening of sentiment. There's a an upset. Think great awakening. A come to Jesus moment or in the case of our 1960s to 1970s Maybe a hippie movement, maybe a higher consciousness, some kind of a revolution. But there's an awakening or an effort at awakening. The high is not going to last forever. Then an unraveling. And then another crisis. And then another high. And an awakening. And an unraveling. And a crisis. And so on and so forth. And this sine wave repeats like spring to summer to fall to winter to spring, like the seasons, except the seasons are generations. And those generations last roughly 20 years. Now, according to this theory, which again, the authors of The Fourth Turning were writing about back in 97, we were going to have a crisis Around 2005, somewhere in there around 2005 and lasting until about 2025. And post 2025, if we could make it through the crisis, we would have another high. That's the the prediction. That's the American prophecy as the subtitle goes. If we can make it through the crisis, we get another high. Think post-World War II, 1950s. Hopefully it's not just the 1950s. And they definitely have more than just the 1950s. They go back to the nation's founding and prior to the nation's founding. I'm very interested in checking out Generations because I believe that they do a similar treatment farther back as far as 500 years. Something like that. According to the chronology here, according to the uh, theory, the revolutionary cycle in American history included a high end and an awakening, followed by an unraveling from 1746 to 1773, and a crisis in 1773 to 1794. With the American Revolution. The unraveling included the French and Indian Wars. The crisis was the American Revolution. And then you have a, a high and an awakening and an unraveling 1844 to 1860 during the Mexican-American War, which led into the crisis of the Civil War from 1860 to 1865. And that completed the Civil War cycle, which they don't count only during the years that the Civil War was going on. They say it was actually a cycle that began in 1794 with the resolution of the American Revolution. We get through that crisis. The nation is founded. Now we enjoy this high. We did it, right? we succeeded. But from the American Revolution concluding, the nation being settled and founded on its foundations, until the Civil War, that's all one story, rightly told. And the Mexican-American War is a part of that story. And everybody agrees that the Mexican-American War was an unraveling that contributed to the Civil War. But it's interesting to put those two things together into Strauss and Howe's theory, their framework, culminating in the crisis of the Civil War, 1860 to 1865. Brutal existential crisis. And then we get through on the other side, and there's another high. And you've got what is termed the great power cycle, according to a little write-up here on luerockwell.com. I found this with a image search on DuckDuckGo. But the great power cycle was 1865 to 1946. Following the Civil War, you have a high and then an awakening during the Spanish-American War, 1888 to 1908. You have another unraveling, 1908 to 1929 with World War I. And you have another crisis in World War II, 1929 to 1946. World War I was not a crisis. It was an unraveling of this former order to the world and to our country. It was the beginning of the undoing of the old order, or the old cycle, if you will. World War II was definitely a crisis, But with that resolved, the 1950s are generally thought of as a period of societal cohesion, too much collectivism, too much uniformity. Twilight of the American Enlightenment is a great book on that. George M. Marsden writes about the 1950s as being a necessary precondition to the 1960s and 1970s with the sexual revolution, drug culture, the hippie movement. Each of those three things have their roots in the conformity, the collectivism, the stifling industrialization of society during the 1950s, post-World War II. But you have to admit, the 1950s were a period of great expectations, high hopes. We did it. At least in America, we did it. And we were high on that success. But then comes an awakening with the 1960s and the 1970s. And so also, you have an unraveling that, according to this chronology, starts with the Iraq wars and the war in Afghanistan. The first Gulf War happens at the beginning of this unraveling, right around the time that my wife and I were born The millennial generation is, according to this theory, a hero generation. So it goes, heroes who come of age during the crisis, artists who come of age during the high, prophets who come of age during the awakening, nomads who come of age during the unraveling, And then the cycle repeats itself. Howe and Strauss are actually said to have come up with the name for my generation, the millennial generation, so-called. And what's so interesting is, of course, every generation thinks that the generation following it is just the worst. That was a Babylon Bee meme on Instagram the other day. I thought it was very funny. The generation following mine is just the worst, says every generation in human history. (laughs) But you have this unraveling happening around the time that my wife and I were born, around the time that the millennial generation was born, an unraveling with the first Gulf War, On through the 90s, you've got the scandals with Bill Clinton. That's an unraveling. Then you get into the early 2000s, and we see the crisis. We've got 9-11. We've got the Great Recession. We've got the War on Terror. We've got Barack Obama. And towards the tail end of that crisis... Not the very end, but towards the end, we had President Trump, and then Trump gets the election stolen from him, in my opinion, my honest opinion, and Biden is president and is expected to conclude his presidency, if not sooner, towards the end of this crisis period in the cycle. Now, again, this being written in 1997, it's amazing that you can plug a lot of events that happened in the last 20 years since this was published, you can plug events into this framework for assessing history, and you can see them fit. You can. Now, to play a devil's advocate, somebody might say, well, yeah, but that's kind of like fortune cookies, right? That's kind of like uh, astrology. Oh, you're a Scorpio. Well, given that you were born under this sign, I think you have uh, a major change coming in your life in the next month. Look for a major change on the job front or a new love to come into your life and if you word things obscurely enough you can definitely make any prediction true it just have to be vague enough and cryptic enough but i think they're on to something i i really do i think there's a lot more truth to this way of looking at history assessing history to see it as seasonal And to see generations as seasonal, I think there's a lot more truth to that than there is to either the evolutionary model, which predicts that things are just going to get better and better and better and better and better. You don't have to read a whole lot of history to know that things don't just get better and better and better and better. Sometimes they get much worse. And then they get a little bit better and then they get a lot better and then they get worse again. And it's up and it's down and it's up and it's down. And it's not a light switch. It's not all or nothing. All happy or all sad and tragic. All peaceful or all violent and turbulent. So then it would stand to reason that you have some kind of a sine wave pattern to general trends. And this reminds me of a quote I've seen circulate around various places. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. Hard times create strong men. We hear something like that and we think, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's I think that's quite correct. And then if you want to be biblical about it, which we should be, you should want to. If you don't, shame on you. But if you get biblical about it, what is it that Solomon writes in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament? There is no new thing under the sun. There is nothing about which we can say, here, look, this is new. It has been before, only we had no memory of it. If these cycles are about the span of a long human life, well, then it would stand to reason it makes sense about the time we would have memory of this point in the cycle last time around a couple of things have probably happened one we've gotten old and we only caught that this is second verse same as the first more or less after having bungled through the earlier stages in the cycle perhaps And so our reputation, our credibility, maybe not at its high point with the younger generations. And so however much we might want to say, hey guys, listen, like I've seen this come around before. Holocaust survivors, for instance, saying, hey, listen, I've seen this come around before. People who lived through the Soviet Union, lived in the Soviet Union under communist dictatorship, saying, hey, listen, this looks familiar. Guys, I, guys, I've seen this movie before. I know how it ends. Well, we don't listen to those folks because they're old. They're old and times have changed and we know better now. And generationally, we are distinct from them. And we don't think quite the same way that they do because we didn't grow up during the same sorts of things, Maybe. And yet there's another interesting element to this theory, which is that each generation as it comes of age tries to not be like its father, but makes friends with its grandfathers. Now, why is that? Well, it could be because there's more in common when you have a generation gap. There's more in common. You have more in common with your grandparents Possibly, depending on when they were born and when you were born, broadly speaking. You might have more in common with your grandparents based on where in the cycle you were born and where in the cycle they were born than you do with your parents. If this pattern is true, high awakening unraveling crisis, high awakening unraveling crisis, your grandparents maybe saw the tail end of the same point in the cycle that you were born on the front end of. Perhaps, maybe. It's possible. So then you start talking about things, and they know a little bit more what's up. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? It's an interesting way to look at it. Not just from a macro standpoint, from a bird's eye view in an abstract sense, but from a very personal sense, from a family dynamics sense, from a local culture, church culture, community culture, national politics, current events, what's coming next, where's this going standpoint. It's very, very interesting. And of course, we have to explore this, not just take somebody's word for it. You got to really think about it. I would recommend, I would highly, highly recommend reading this book, giving it some thought, but I think this is in keeping with what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes in particular, for everything under heaven, there is a season and a time. So why not look at history as being this sort of a, a pattern? Artist, prophet, nomad, hero. You could call these generations something different. I don't think the terms are as important as the general sentiment. You have people who are very artistic, very creative. They feel stifled by the heroes, hubris. So here's basically the chronology of how each of these generations throughout history, if, if the theory holds true, here's the chronology on what they're typically like generationally as they go through their lifespan. Heroes are protected in their childhood, 0 to 20. Now think of hero archetypes in movies and literature. Think of Luke Skywalker. Where is Luke Skywalker when you're introduced to him at the very first? He's in his uncle and aunt's care. He's on Tatooine. Think of where Frodo is when you're introduced to him in Lord of the Rings. Why, he's in the Shire. He's protected. He's insulated. From 0 to 20, this theory holds that heroes are protected. 21 to 41... That's when they come of age. That's when they break out from their bubble boy existence and they start doing some epic stuff, 21 to 41. That's when they start being heroic and lo and behold, there's a crisis in part because the previous generation was overprotective of more than just their children. They were overly cautious and neurotic. So the heroes break out and they've got to do some drastic things in order to salvage society, civilization, fight off the existential threat, whatever it may be, typically a major war from 42 to 62, the crisis has passed. The hero generation has done its thing, saved society, gotten them through the crisis And the hero generation becomes hubristic, which is another way of saying arrogant. From 63 to 83, the hero generation is powerful. They consolidate their position. They are the heroes. Maybe they're a little wiser because they had to take some lumps being arrogant in middle age And in their senior years, they are established. The next generation, the artist generation, from 0 to 20, feels suffocated. They feel suffocated in their childhood because the hero generation is intense and also arrogant by turn. During the heroic period of their lives, 21 to 41, they are intense, overly intense, because, hey, this is a crisis, don't you know? They get everybody through the crisis, then they're arrogant. Hey, I clearly know. I know what's up. I'm the guy. Didn't you see what I did back there? And their children are suffocated, stifled. The hero generation as parents is overbearing. And so as the artist generation gets into their adulthood, they're sensitive. They're a little maybe overcompensating for the previous generation being so overbearing. The artist generation is sensitive. Come to their 42 to 62 years stage of life and they're indecisive. They're so sensitive that they are double-minded. They go back and forth and back and forth. And On the one hand, and on the other hand, in their senior years, 63 to 83, they're empathic. So they feel what everyone else feels. are very comforting. Next up is the profit generation. Zero to 20, they are indulged. Their artist parents want to give them everything that the hero generation of parents never gave the artist generation. But the profit generation is spoiled. They have everything given to them because their parents are trying to redo their own childhood vicariously through their children. As a consequence, 21 to 41, the prophet generation is narcissistic, self-absorbed, egotistical, not in the same way that the hero generation is. The hero generation is hubristic. They think they can do anything. But the prophet generation, 21 to 41, according to this model, is conceited. They're entitled They didn't earn these things. They were given everything. And they just assume that that's what it is. I'm supposed to get these things, these good things. They come to me. As they get older, into middle age, maybe, again, kind of like the hero generation, they take some lumps. They realize, you know what? That's not a healthy way to relate. Maybe I was spoiled. Maybe I did have it too easy. Maybe I need to have some morals. Maybe there's a higher standard than just whatever I want all the time. And so the profit generation in middle age becomes moralistic. Start lecturing everybody about moral dilemmas all the time. Everything is a moral dilemma. They were narcissistic in their 20s to 40s, early 20s to early 40s, and then their 40s to their 60s. They're lecturing everybody because they're trying to compensate for the fact that they were so self-indulgent in their early adulthood. And I will point out, I will add, my father is, according to the chronology, my father is one of the prophet generation. Born in 1951, that would put him squarely in the boomer generation. My mother was born 1960. That puts her in the nomad generation. She's just almost in that Gen X category. She just barely misses it. She's barely a boomer. Not really. More Gen X. But the profit generation, moralistic 42 to 62, lo and behold, all the years of my childhood, because my dad and mom had me when my dad was a bit later in life, the age I am now. Right now, I'm apparently in my heroic stage of life. But when my dad and my mom had me, according to this model, my dad was in his moralistic phase. And now he, at 70, is in his wise phase. 63 to 83, prophets are wise maybe in the Solomon vein, they've tried folly and they've tried wisdom and they have the measure of both. They tried narcissism and self-indulgence. They tried moralism. They're the wiser for both. The nomad generation, meanwhile, from zero to 20, some of them having been raised by artists, some of them having been raised by prophets, They grow up from zero to 20, feeling abandoned, feeling alienated. And that comes next first abandoned in zero to 20. If they were raised by a profit generation, their parents were narcissistic or if they were artists, they were sensitive, overly sensitive, but the nomads, they grow up feeling abandoned, left to their own devices. Just go outside and play. Just do whatever, right? I don't have time for this. Leave me alone. I'm busy. Because their parents were full of themselves. To some extent. In their early adulthood, nomads feel alienated. They feel disconnected. They don't feel like they're a part of life. Family life. Community life. By the time they're in their middle age, they're more pragmatic. They've felt abandoned. They've felt alienated. Now they make decisions in their middle age based on survival, based on here's what it's going to take to be able to retire well. That's all that really matters. Maybe is it useful? Is it not useful? I got to fend for myself. That's what I learned growing up. Being abandoned. Being alienated, I've always had to rely on myself. I've got to just figure it out. And I'm used to that. So I'm very pragmatic about things. I'm not going to count on you. I have trust issues. My mother was part of that generation, according to this chronology. Growing up in the 1960s, 1970s, 63 to 83, the nomad generation is tough. They've had to rely on themselves their whole lives as they see it. And they're the tougher for it, not tender necessarily, but tough. And then the cycle repeats itself and the nomads and the prophets maybe raise a hero generation. And in my case, I've got the moralistic and the pragmatic. And because my parents are nine years apart, I was raised by a moralist and someone who felt very alienated. And I would say that's true. My dad is a bit of a moralist. And my mother felt very alienated during my childhood. And I think my dad is wiser now, and I think my mother is very pragmatic, a bit on the tougher side. And if I think forward, right, think forward in terms of generations, I'm raising, perhaps, a generation of artists. And with... My wife and I both being in this heroic period, perhaps having all these children and homeschooling them and moving across the country, and it's epic, right? It's an epic tale. There's every possibility that our children feel suffocated. And when they get into their 20s to 40s, they're going to be sensitive. When they get to middle age, they're going to be indecisive. And by then, my wife and I will have passed through, hopefully, our hubristic we can do every, we can do anything we can do everything stage maybe we can skip that one that'd be all right skip on straight to the powerful stage being powerful will help our children make decisions but then even my thinking like that maybe that contributes to my children feeling suffocated because they're the artist generation who knows all of that is a lot of speculation It may be informed speculation, particularly in light of what Solomon writes. There is no new thing under the sun. Everything that has been will be again. There's a season for everything under heaven. Check it out, though. Give it a read. I think you'll really enjoy it. I'm fascinated by the concept. I'm going to read the next book as well soon. Stay tuned for... Some commentary on that hit subscribe if you haven't subscribed to this podcast yet also you can check out the garrett ashley mullet show.com to sign up for email alerts when new episodes come out also by the way if you're on twitter i did create a twitter account you can follow me on twitter the garrett ashley mullet show is on twitter again also there's a facebook page if you want to follow the facebook page We're going to have to talk soon about Facebook actually losing subscribers on the whole in a recent report just yesterday. A quarter of a trillion dollars in Facebook's valuation was wiped out as investors pulled their money out of Facebook, or Meta, as the case may be. What did I tell you? It seems like things are inevitably going in a certain direction more and more and more and more until all of a sudden they're not. Maybe it's not a pendulum swing. Maybe it's a sine wave. Maybe, just maybe, if we can get through the last little bit of this crisis in the cycle, get to a new high and enjoy that, be intentional about it, give it some thought, give it some prayer, give it some study. I got to run. As always, thank you for listening.